I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and I'll be your host this week as we scan over the biggest topics in tech. We'll be looking at the latest Amazon Fire tablets as the company continues to provide cheaper competition to Apple's iPads. Pocket Lint's associate editor Dan Grabham will join me in discussing the new models, including an all-new Kids Pro range and how they fit into the lineup. I'll also be chatting with Ben Barondo from Nvidia, who will be explaining why cloud gaming is gaining gravitas. We'll also talk about ray tracing and other technologies that are improving games massively. Plus, take a look at what could be coming up in the future. And finally, Stuart Miles will join me to review the Apple AirTag, Apple's new device that helps you find your keys, bag or anything else you want to attach it to. We'll find out how it differs from Tile and whether it's worth a purchase. But first, back to the new Amazon tablets. Hi Dan. When you talk about a tablet device with anybody, it usually centres on an iPad, to the extent where people tend to forget that others still make rival devices. Why then is Amazon still launching tablets and what does it have up its sleeve this time? Well, I think they sell truckloads of them, and that's why. Um, they're uh, basically sort of refocusing the, the range. They, they're continuing doing the, the normal tablets as such, but also they uh, have got some new kids' tablets. And I think um, probably the, the, the kids' area is very much, uh, you know, where, where they're trying to focus their attention because, um, you know, as you mentioned, Apple, Apple, big in tablets, you know, we've got Samsung as well in the, in the Android tablet space. And I think for sort of grown up tablets, um, there's a, the, you know, a, a lot of people would, would buy an iPad. Um, you know, there's obviously quite a few well-priced um, Amazon tablets as well. And they've released a new HD 10 um, and HD 10 uh, uh, plus this time. And in the kids range, they've got um, a new uh, Fire HD 10 kids version of that same tablet, which has got the chunky case that we've seen um, quite a few times. But also what they're doing now, they're doing kids pro tablets. And where this is where this is going is sort of for older kids that actually want more, you know, want to have more controller, more adult like experience, um, but actually still there's the same parental controls and that that kind of thing there so parents can stay on top of what they're doing am, am i right in thinking uh, that um that these kids pro tablets are very reasonably priced as well yeah definitely they're they're um the kids pro starts at, at 99 99 pounds um same in us as well and the us as well and the uh there's a eight inch version and a, a 10 inch version. So seven, seven, eight and 10 as well. So they're all, they're all fairly well priced and they top out at around 200 pounds, $200. So, um, the, you know, they're still, they're, they're, they're very much at the budget end of the market, but actually they're, they're quite well specced. They've got quite a lot of, lot of, um, features, features for them. Um, they've, they've introduced a few new features this time. Um, and that is that, um, there's a new browser that can filter, 
um what you know it's, it filters out adult content essentially but an adult can allow access to a particular site if they need it for school or whatever there's video calling to other alexa enabled devices um and um and, and voice calling as well but they can't call landlines or, or mobiles and there's also a new child friendly app store um that they can download sort of uh apps that are age that are within the age range and we're talking sort of six to 12 for kids pro tablets um but uh, an adult also via amazon's parent dashboard can grant um a child access to something like netflix for example if they if they want to do you think actually amazon has kind of carved a niche in this area i um i remember the tesco huddle um being a very family orientated kids orientated tablet but that was a long time ago and nobody seems to really have capitalized on that market and ipads as great as say for example the ipad mini is for kids it's i find as a parent it's really hard to restrict content on there to just being kids friendly there's so many different sort of like things you have to do to be able to do that whereas do you think amazon have actually capitalized on that market and said you know what especially with lockdown and kids doing learning separately, um, we, we better get things out there and we better get things out there for not just preschoolers. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, that's a key thing. And I'm surprised they haven't done the, so these sort of older focused uh, kids tablets before because, and, and certainly from, from a, from a pe- parent's perspective, the, the parent dashboard is very easy to use, you know, you, and you, and you can um, do as much or as little control as you want, really. Um, you know, there, there, ha- there haven't really been many competitors, like you say. And yeah, thinking back to the Tesco, Tesco huddle, that was, you know, quite a good concept at the time. But we've seen quite relatively few companies jump on it, haven't we? So, yeah, that it does seem to be an area that Amazon isn't quite focused, but also they've, they've, they've kind of got the uh, sort, sort of adult focused, for want of a better phrase, tablets in the background as well. Of course, they like you say, they've actually announced two new um, 10-inch tablets. Um, tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're reasonably powerful, aren't they? They've got octa-core processors, um, 3 gig or 4 gig of RAM, um, and they're 32 or 64 gig, um, 12-hour battery life, and um, a Dolby Atmos as well, supported sound and two megapixel camera on the front so and you can expand the storage with with micro sd as well so it's pretty pretty good spec i mean not not quite as good as um as as many of the ipad tablets but you know it it depends what you want doesn't it i mean you can the you know the 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 hd10 plus is 179 um and the um the standard hd10 is 149 and that's you know they're 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 very well priced really compared to compared to the the uh, many of the ipads aren't they so yeah half the price in yeah fact, you'd have at to, least half the price you'd have to buy a buy a several years old ipad to get that that kind of price so you know really um you know they they are quite a compelling option um for those who aren't that fussed by having ipad os a thing i've also found um i was surprised to find is that I, I hadn't used Fire OS for quite some time, but there's hell of a lot of more apps now and things on Fire OS, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's been something that Amazon has worked on, uh, you know, for Fire TV as well, um, because, you know, originally it was a little bit ropey in terms of the interface. And, you know, we've we've just seen them actually redesign the, the, the Fire TV interface. Um, and, you know, it, the previous versions of, of all these devices were quite hard to use at times. 
um, and not very accessible. And and yes, yeah, certainly app support has hugely improved for them. Um, and we've you know we we've seen we've obviously seen uh, you know Amazon really try and focus on the user experience. And we've seen, to be honest, we've seen that with Alexa as well in terms of the Alexa app and the setup of 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 those devices, the Echo devices as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, basically, to uh, finish off, um, when are they going to be available? Um, well, they're available um, pretty much uh, uh, immediately to pre-order, um, and I believe they're out in a couple of weeks. So they'll be um, they'll be shipping very soon. Still to come, Stuart gives us his verdict on the Apple AirTag. Within the last sort of twenty to thirty feet, you can use the U1 chip as kind of like a, a technical version of hotter or colder. Before we get to that, though. NVIDIA has been one of the few beneficiaries of the numerous lockdowns, or so it seems. As well as launch the full public version of its cloud gaming platform, GeForce Now, the company's latest graphics cards have done great business, to the extent that they sell out almost instantly each time stock is available, and can be hard to find. Why is that? Is demand higher during lockdown, or are supply issues restricting manufacture? I spoke with the company's head of consumer PR for Europe, Ben Barondo, to find out more. We also talked about how ray tracing and other visual technologies not only improve PC gaming, but also console with the PS5 and Xbox Series XS. I started by asking if GeForce Now has grown as expected in the last year and about the take-up of cloud gaming in general. Yeah, that's right. We've seen huge growth in GeForce now. And I think in general, cloud gaming is um, definitely a funny one from my perspective. It, it gets either a lot of positive sentiment or some people really get a negative sentiment towards it. And I think ultimately it's down to the experience that you get and what you have to invest in order to get cloud gaming. And for GeForce now, really the key thing for us is, is twofold. One is ease of use. So it's about making playing these games as easy as possible. And secondly, it's about adaptability with your existing gaming library. So it's not about purchasing new games that you already have on another service, but it's about bringing over your Steam library or your Origin library or your Uplay library um, and being able to play those games in different locations. So different hardware, different devices, um, and really about keeping you gaming wherever you are really. So would you say then that uh, that your service is more for gamers who want to take that experience elsewhere um, rather than people who don't normally game, who um, who are attracted by the fact that you can just play on a television, for example, without a console? Yeah. So I would say there's probably a lot of different users that would consider cloud gaming. Undoubtedly, on one side, we are talking to our, our existing user base, right? The kind of people that have a GeForce gaming PC or a GeForce gaming laptop or even, say, just a gaming PC of any ilk, right? And they've invested heavily into their online libraries. Obviously, you don't want to lose that. And GeForce Now offers you the ability to play that library that, that many people have amassed over many, many years of investment. I mean, Rick, I'm sure you've been in the same situation where there's, for example, is a, a Steam sale on and you end up play, you end up buying a lot of games. My, uh, my Steam library of shame is very great at the moment. Um, but you want to play those games wherever you are, really. And so if I'm not somewhere where I have my gaming desktop with me, then at least I can log in using, for example, a work laptop, uh, a tablet, or even a mobile phone, if you feel like playing some games. But then on the other side, you also have um, 
other more general gamers that simply want a really easy way to play their games. I think everyone now um, who plays games more casually gets frustrated at the fact that whether it's on console or PC, there is the element of patching games, updating OSs. And in many cases, if you just have, say, a couple of hours to play a game, what you really want is to get into the game super quickly. And GeForce Now offers that, right? It means you can play the game, no patching required, no waiting for the OS to update. Um, that's all done on our server side. So it's all ready for you to play um, really as soon as you can. So it really does have a wide a range of users right now. Does it also help that on your server side, you have a, it hardware that is possibly, uh, for, for the more common user, uh, probably outside their price range? Yeah, 100%. If you imagine on GeForce Now, you have full ray tracing enabled hardware. So it means you can play a game like Cyberpunk 2077 with ray tracing turned on at great frame rates. And I think people people value that, that kind of confirmation or guarantee that actually, if I'm playing this game, it's going to run really well. Or maybe I've decided to play that game on my local, say, laptop or desktop that I haven't upgraded in a few years. And the game that I want to play doesn't quite run as well as I would like. I'm not quite ready to purchase uh, an upgrade for my PC, whether that be a graphics card or something else. Um, GeForce Now really offers the opportunity to play that game as the developer intended. Um, on your on your existing device, and I think that's a really big thing for many people. I think possibly, uh, possibly um, one of the things that I have noticed with GeForce now, I, I have a Shield TV, so I get to play it on my television, um, but uh, it's not as available, widely available across multiple other, uh, say, TV dongles and set-top boxes as I would like. Is that something that will be looked into in future? So we've worked really hard to improve the situation. And actually, right now, I would say that availability is getting better and better. So in addition to, quite rightly, you said Shield TV, and in addition to uh, PC laptops and desktops, we now have GFN clients available for Mac. So whatever you're using on any kind of Mac device, we have it on Chromebooks. We also now have iOS and Android browser-based solutions as well. So really, if you have any kind of uh, mobile device, tablet, um, you're good to go on that side. And one of the most interesting recent um, advancements is the variety of browsers that we support as well. So in many cases, um, you do have the ability to play on a whole variety of other devices um, that have browser support too. And 100% getting it on as many TV devices as possible is a, a big step for us. And I think what you will see is that is happening with a, with a whole variety of services at the moment. And so... Um, I'm pretty confident that for the majority of people, if they want to play it, then it's uh, it's becoming easier and easier to do that. Um, the only thing that uh, could be uh, hamstringing uh, people when they want to sign up for a, a cloud gaming service generally is internet broadband. Do you? Mm -hmm. I remember when GeForce Now first released in beta form many many years ago, um, and it, internet was the, was part of the issue then. Is it still the issue now? So I still think in certain countries, 100%, the broadband that you have or the fiber that you have or whatever connection it is in 5G in many cases will be the determinative factor on how, how good or bad your cloud gaming experience is. But I think one of the things that we've tried really hard to work with, and it harks back to what I said at the beginning of our discussion, that <clears throat> for many people, their, 
their kind of sentiment around cloud gaming is down to the experience. And we've worked so hard to ensure that latency is the best it can be, regardless of your internet connection. And we do that with a whole variety of ways. On one side, you have the fact that we're building more and more servers in different countries to try and make sure that you have a server close to you. Um, secondly, we do put recommendations in with regards to the speed and the expected resolution you'll be getting. And so um, GeForce Now does dynamically bump to different resolutions in order to give you the really good latency experience. I mean, above all else, playing a game um, with GeForce Now is about having great latency. And one thing that we always try and endeavor to make sure happens is that you have as good or better than any local console experience. So say if you have uh, a PlayStation or an Xbox plugged into your TV, GeForce Now, we endeavor to be better than that experience. So for the vast majority of people, if you're not a pro gamer, for example, um, you won't even notice the difference in terms of latency. And so what I would encourage people to do is to really try the service out. We have uh, lots of uh, free tiers that you can apply to, to in order to try and see how it works. Obviously, the faster your connection is, the better the experience you will have. But ultimately, that is getting better in every single country, right? Just in the UK, we're seeing more and more mobile networks get on the 5G bandwagon. We're also seeing improvements to, uh, to fiber availability all around the country. And so, I think that will be one of the limitations that naturally gets removed as time goes on over the next couple of years. Um, as well as uh, as cloud gaming, uh, the pandemic seemingly has um, helped everybody sort of like build their own gaming PCs. We've seen a massive upturn in, in people wanting to build gaming PCs. And obviously as a gaming um, card manufacturer, you would have seen something similar yourself. Do you think that that is a, a, a genuine thing? Is that the reason why, for example, we're not seeing stock in stores as, as, as readily available because there is actually more demand? So what I would say is that when, when we look at the impact the pandemic has had on technology in general, um, I would say the most obvious impact it's had is that it's accelerated what people are doing so it's accelerated certain buying habits and i think certainly gaming is one of those where people are investing more into their gaming rigs than ever before however when you look at trends even before the pandemic that was already happening you have an entire generation now who have grown up with gaming as just a, a normal part of their everyday entertainment a bit like how you wouldn't necessarily say you're into films or tv but you still consume the content there are many people now who wouldn't necessarily call themselves a gamer and a gamer right now is what is a wider term than it's ever been before and so i think because of that people um are naturally doing a few things. One, it means that the most important chip inside a PC has become the GPU. Um, and secondly, it also means that people are spending on average uh, a, a more on their rig, whether that's um, higher end components or a slightly higher end laptop. Um, it's definitely been part and parcel of the reasons why there is more demand right now. But equally, when we look at um, the demand and how many uh, GPUs we've been selling and how many how much stuff has been going on, I would say the demand has been 100% unprecedented and we've been trying our best to get more and more stock into e-tailers. But equally, um, when you compare it back to previous generations, we've been selling more than ever before. So the stock is getting there. But I, I think ultimately... 
um, people are now moving to uh, a, a new a new a new part of really what is important to them in terms of tech. And stuff like laptops, gaming PCs are extremely important to many people now, and that's where you're seeing the big increase from. Um, we touched upon it earlier, actually, and uh, as the first company to really bring out a consumer ray tracing proposition, um, can you? Uh, and now we're seeing it obviously being adopted fur further and wider, and in the new consoles. Um, have games developers start only sort of touch the surface of what is capable with ray tracing? I think that's a fair thing to say has happened. What I would say is that you've completely touched on the right aspect. Uh, NVIDIA were the first company to introduce real-time ray tracing hardware for gaming. Um, but other companies have since followed suit. We now have new games consoles that have ray tracing capability built into them as well. And I think what it does highlight is that ray tracing isn't just a buzzword. It's here to stay in gaming and it offers developers just one additional tool in their quest for either photorealism or higher quality graphics. And I think ultimately... What we're really thinking about here is how can you give developers more and more tools to remove any technological barrier they face? And all you have to do is look at the example of how ray tracing has been used in, in film and animation over the years to kind of see the difference, right? Ray tracing has been used now for many, many years, not in real time, but certainly in rendering. And you can see that in the effect of, for example, uh, Pixar films or the special effects in Marvel movies. CGI has become better and better because ray tracing is available. And now that ray tracing is available in real time, it will offer kind of new creative possibilities to game developers as well. And we need to think about that in terms of what does that creative vision mean? And I would say hardware companies are always stuck in this chicken and egg scenario where you have to lead as a hardware company and make the technology available to everyone first, and then developers will start using it. And I think when you look back at certain games over the past 12 months that have come out and you compare ray tracing on to ray tracing off, you're seeing amazingly realized world you've got ray tracing in titles like call of duty uh in control in cyberpunk 2077 and you can see the difference it makes in terms of reflections lighting shadows it makes these worlds feel more alive but ultimately it's also down to developers to use this technology to bring their creative vision to fall and to make new games that make you sit there and be like, wow, this is an absolutely incredible game I'm playing because the entire world is immersing me um, because of how good the graphics are. It's just one thing in addition to all the other tools that new technology is, are, are, is providing. I mean, another great example is the work that we've done with AI in our DLSS technology. And for those of you that are listening that don't know, this is using AI to, uh, to upscale from lower resolutions to higher resolutions, in effect, giving you a free performance boost while still having maximum visual fidelity. And for a developer, what that means is you can build a graphically richer game that previously you would have hit this tech barrier. Where it's like, we can't release this because people don't have good enough hardware to play this at playable frame rates. Whereas now you're making a prettier game for free performance. And so for developers, that is what is hugely liberating. It's having that creative freedom to really make game worlds that were simply impossible beforehand. 
Um, with all this GPU power, and this is possibly my final question also, um, to find out a, a per, your personal opinion on this, um, we seem to have three different areas being expanded at the same time. We have ray tracing and effects and extra detail. We have resolution and we also have frame rate. Now, that's probably more surprising to console people or more unique to console people because PC people have been um, using quite super uh, super frame rates already. Um, which would, considering there seems to be at the moment a trade-off, you can mm -hmm. either have the best resolution, the best detail, or the best frame rate, which is your personal preference for gaming? So this is a very good question. I think it definitely is a personal preference for many people. <clears throat> Me personally, I prefer a higher frame rate, but that's, uh, that's because you need to think about um, what you get used to. So being a PC gamer, um, I've always had very high frame rates in games I've played. I've used technologies such as G-Sync, which is just coming to many TVs now, and many TVs are also supporting variable refresh rate. And I think it's one of those pieces of tech that when you get used to playing games at high frame rate, um, you don't necessarily notice the benefit immediately. But what you do really notice is when you go back to a lower frame rate title or a lower frame rate game, the effect can be quite jarring. And I think for me, um, I would always I would always say frame rate is king. But then again, I, I, I play on PC. Um, I think like everything, it's a balance. And I think actually it's a great thing that we're seeing more and more game developers give that option to the users. For many people, they'll be happy with, say, a locked 60 or 30 frames per second, and they prefer the higher visual fidelity. And I think that's a great option to have. Um, for me, I would always say getting 60 frames per second plus is a, a massive bonus, and it just makes the game feel better as you're playing it. Actually, and that's, uh, that's one last thing I can ask you is, um, if you were to go out to buy a TV today, what would you absolutely must, must ensure that it has? Yeah, so from my side, I would definitely look out, make sure you're getting a HDMI 2.1 TV. This means that essentially uh, you can plug in games consoles, PCs that can pump in the highest resolution along with the highest frame rate. And for many TVs, that also means they support variable refresh rate, which is um, being supported on next-gen consoles. It's already supported on PCs. And I would say that easily has the, the biggest impact for gaming for next-gen gaming. Apple finally put persistent rumours to bed during its recent Spring Loaded event and revealed its highly anticipated location tracker at last. Apple AirTag is a small device that works with an iPhone to help you find objects and our own Stuart Miles has been playing with one for the last week or so. He's here to tell us everything we need to know about the product and what he thinks. So Stu, you've been playing with the Apple AirTag. Um, what do you think about it? And uh, is it really a big competitor to Tile and the like? Wow, so many questions in one question. Um, I think so. Look, I've been playing with it since the announcement. Uh, we've, we've been trying to uh, get lost, effectively, um, and then find myself again. Uh, I think it's it's a really interesting concept, right? So Tile, to give you some background, Tile has been the tracker you know the, the main tracking smart tracker offering on the market for a number of years now and has kind of set out all the groundwork i think that's probably the fairest way of putting it by you know talking to the chip companies talking to uh, customers making us realize that perhaps if we lose our keys or our bag or whatever we need to know where it is and so on that sort of surface and then you kind of got some other companies that are slightly smaller than tile 
sitting around. And then, you know, Samsung has got in the market for Android users and then Apple suddenly swooped in. And Apple being Apple, they've kind of taken all the problems that Tile has experienced over the last couple of years and not only solved them, but then also just added their sort of polish to it to make it much easier to use. It's based out of the Find My app, um, which most people have been using for the last decade to find their iPhone or AirPods or whatever when they've lost them, and and taps into the 1 billion uh, iPhone users to help you find your stuff when it's lost. So it isn't just that you can find it by waving around your own phone. Um, if you've lost your your um, your your AirTag, say in a pub, or when we're allowed back in, yeah. um, or, or or the like, it actually utilizes other people's devices. Yeah. So this is the this the, the good thing and the bad thing about it. So there's one billion iPhones around in the world, and so if and the way that the AirTag works is it has with your phone it has a constant connection to your phone right so it knows where you are because that's fine but it doesn't have a constant connection to anybody else's phone but if random iphones walk past it then it will ping those iphones to try and work out where it is because it doesn't have gps it doesn't have a mobile phone signal which means the battery which is replaceable which is great lasts about a year and it's just a standard you know coin coin battery so I, for example, on one of my tests, I went and put it in a nearby wood where I know that it's like a, it's a kind of fairly remote, but a, also a, a kind of a, a frequent uh, dog walking path. And I put it out there in the evening and for most of the evening, obviously nobody was walking past it. So I could see where I had left it because it had spoken to my, it had pinged my iPhone as I, you know, was carrying it. And then obviously it said, right, nine o'clock, you've, you've, you know, that was the last time I saw anything. Overnight, nobody walked past or whatever. And then at 7 o'clock, someone must have walked past with an iPhone, which it randomly then pinged, to say, hey, hey, I'm still here. Right, this is where I am. This is my last known location. Um, if you go and lose it in the middle of nowhere, then and you didn't have your iPhone on you to begin with or whatever, you know, then you wouldn't find it because you'd have to have someone walk past it to ping it to then tell you where it is. Now, if you're in an urban environment and there's lots of iPhones around, and let's face it, there probably is, then losing it in that pub garden, the chances are is that there would be an iPhone nearby at some point that would tell you where it was. And so that's that's where the system works really well. It doesn't work if you've, you know, you've got your keys, but you haven't got your phone, you drop them on a walk, nobody else goes there for three weeks, you know, you yeah. won't know where it is. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. But then you could always retrace your steps if you lose something. Important. Yeah, as, as you can without all these things, and that's you know that's the <laughs> that's the interesting thing. This is the the boring way of looking at it. It's just an insurance policy against you losing your things, right? But it, because it's Apple, it's twenty nine pounds in the UK, about twenty nine dollars in the US, um, and it doesn't come with a way of attaching it to anything. It's a small, effectively a Coke bottle top. Um, and to attach attach it to something, you need to go and get a key ring. And third parties make them, and they start at about 11 quid, 10, 12, 10, 12 pounds, something like that. Apple makes a nice leather one, which is 35 pounds. And if you can do the maths quickly, you suddenly think, mm, that's twice the price. <laughs> you know, you suddenly think. Or if you really, really, really want to go to town, you can get a Hermes one, and that's about $450. Of course, you can just chuck it in your bag without any. You could, of- yes. 
and that and that would that would work. Um, is it's small, yeah? It's absolutely small, and you can buy them in multi packs. Yeah, so you can get one uh, for say twenty nine, around about twenty nine pound, twenty nine dollars, or you can buy a four pack for a hundred bucks. Right. The, the big question then is, um, what's the benefit of it over say going out and buying a tile, which has been, which is more established and been around quite a while? Yeah. So the tile, um, the tile comes with a, a virtually identical network, but obviously you have to have tile users to be able to spot other tiles. And so, you know, this is a numbers game, effectively, which is where the Apple system works so well because so many people have got an iPhone. Um, the tile option is is it's around about the same price. It's slightly cheaper. There is a loop hole for lanyard, so it's easier to attach to your uh, to your keyring. It's a slightly bigger device. Um, and in our testing, we found that the Bluetooth range was uh, actually considerably better for uh, the tile. So in our tests, we were able to get about 80 meters away and still connect to the tile to play the sound. Now, you could argue that you won't hear the sound 80 meters away, but it's you know helpful for finding it. Where the Apple system was uh, basically got about 10 to, 10 to 13 meters away um, before we lost connection to be able to play the sound. Now, the interesting thing for iPhone users that tile can't do is that it uses the ultra-wideband uh, U1 chip, which Apple has been putting into the iPhone 11 and iPhone 12 models. And this is really useful for around the house. So all the stuff I've talked about before currently is is based on the idea of, of using a mapping system to find it. Around your house, you obviously don't necessarily have a map or, you, you know, it's not that big. So within the last sort of 20 to 30 feet, you can use the U1 chip as kind of like a, a technical version of hotter or colder. And so you kind of get a compass on your phone once it's connected that then allows you to, it kind of uses an arrow to direct you to where the device is and therefore find your keys. Now that's really good if you kind of lose your keys down the back of a sofa, they've fallen down the back of a radiator or down a desk or something that, you know, along those lines, because you can use it to sort of hide and seek through your house to find it instantly. Um, and that's a really good system and, and Tile doesn't have that capability. That's, that's to be honest, that's probably going to be its most common use. Yeah, and I think I think the interesting thing here is that with Tile is that the original versions of Tile came with an irreplaceable battery because they couldn't work that bit out to begin with because it was a brand new product and, and all the other stuff. And so those Tile users have been using it for one or two years now. The battery will be running out. And I think the fear for, for a company like Tile is that if you've been using Tile and you think it's good and you like it and all the other stuff, there's and you're an Apple user, it's kind of a, a no-brainer, really, to upgrade to the Apple system because you get the, if you've got an iPhone 11 or 12, you get the U1 chip stuff, but also because the network for iPhone is bigger than Tile. As I said, you need to have the Tile app installed. It needs to be pinging it. Do you know what I mean? It needs, you need yeah. to, you're only going to be discovered by Tile users. There aren't as many. That number is probably going to dwindle because Apple now in the market. So it's kind of, it's it's a death by a thousand paper cuts for, for Tile potentially, unless they can shift their focus and, and dominate the Android marketplace instead of iPhone. Well, one thing that, I mean, that's, that's a, a huge thing is that uh, obviously you can't use it with anything other than an iPhone. But the other thing that uh, Tile has been doing quite recently and uh, and I'll ask if Apple if you expect Apple to do the same, which is to add its technology into devices at the uh, manufacturing stage. So some headphones have tile location 
um, technology inside the headphones themselves. Do you expect Apple to be doing this in future? Oh, yes, very much so. They've announced already that they're going to have a works with um, Find My. They've announced three manufacturers, including like Van Moof, an electric bike company, that will build this technology effectively to be able to find items within within the Find My network. Um, that obviously is a huge potential for other manufacturers. And if they're already doing it with Tile, it's again, it's a no-brainer for them to say, well, the technology's there, we'll just add it to... We'll just add it to the Find My network as well, um, an appeal to to more iPhone users. So it's 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 Apple typically coming in, watching what the market's been doing for a number of years, working out the problems, solving those problems, and then producing a product which is not only comparable but in many cases better um, and good enough for most iPhone users to go. Okay, this sounds good. I'm going to go for it. So that's it for this week's Pocket Imp podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you in the next episode. I've been Rick Henderson. Stay safe. See ya. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.